This show is proudly sponsored by TraderCobb.com. Visit TraderCobb.com forward slash free tools for your free education content. Now on this section of the website, you will receive access to view a bit about the three trading strategies that I use daily. And if you're sick and tired of your family and friends wanting to know about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, well, there's a free course in there for them as well, titled Beginner's Course to Cryptocurrency. It's absolutely free, so tell your friends and family and visit TraderCobb.com now. The Trader Cobb Crypto Show, talking business in blockchain. All right, get everybody and welcome to the Trader Cobb Crypto Show. Today's guest is all the way out of the other side of the ditch. We'll get to that in just a second. But I've got James Sowers, who is basically an angel investor, a bit of a crypto OG. So thank you so much for the time today. Great. Thanks for having me, man. <laughs> so so where are you, James? Um, I'm actually in Florida, but in the panhandle. So we're actually on central time. It's kind of funny because um, when you say Florida, everyone in the United States automatically thinks East Coast. Right. So, so you're, I always you're, say central time. Yeah, you're in so a different like, time to what most Floridians are in. That doesn't mean much to me, but to all the American listeners and viewers, it'll mean a lot. Now, James, you've, <laughs> been, um, you've been busy, man. Like you, I mean, you're, you've written songs, you've made albums, you're a musician, you've had accidents, you've bounced back, you've been angel investing, you've been, I mean, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, about way, how you've got to where you are today and what it is that you're actually focusing on today. Sure. Great. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, actually, I'm actually adopted. I was an orphan in South Korea as a child wow. and I was adopted by um, Caucasian parents and I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. And when I was a kid, I was one of those little hustlers, I call it, you know, buy something for um, 10 cents, 15 cents a quarter and sell it for more. So one of the things I used to do was is buy packs of swimsuit cards and comic cards and baseball cards and split up the pack and sell each card individually for 10, 25 cents, or whatever, and keep reinvesting the profits. So that was kind of my like foray in entrepreneurship. Yep. And over time, that, that would add up. And when I was a kid, I would say, oh, my God, this kid's going to grow up to be like an unemployed loser. Nowadays, people say, oh, my God, that's the next Warren Buffett. That can now spill gates. It's kind of funny how things have changed. Mm. And what I had did through the years was I had saved up enough money because I used to read all these books about the Rockefellers and the Carnegies and the Morgans. And um, there was this guy named Shelby Davis who bought stocks. So when I was um, 18, 19 years old, I think it was about 19 is when I started buying stocks. And I happened to get lucky because one of the stocks I had bought, you know, turned into a really good return. But I had saved up $40,000 by the time I was 18 just by being a little hustler. It's kind of, it's kind of funny like that. And, and you didn't so, spend you know, it all on lollies, mate. Well done, or sweets. <laughs> yeah, man. Thanks, man. And then, um, so I had become an accredited investor. And um, right around the time frame, I think it was around 2013, is when I first got into Bitcoin. I had heard about it beforehand. I didn't even pronounce it right. I called it Bitcoin. And there wasn't a lot of information on the internet because I was like, how do I buy this? I was like, oh, my God, it's so complicated. I can't figure it out. And um, in 2013, there was an exchange called Coinsetter that was based in the United States. I believe it was in New York, but they ended up getting acquired by Kraken because probably over the bit license harassment. I'm not 100% sure if that's why, but I'm just guessing. And before then, I heard of Mt. Gox, but I used to actually trade Forex before then, years before. And I was like, oh, my God, that could be a roach motel overseas. You can get in, you can't get out. So I waited until it came to the United States. So that's how I got into Bitcoin. And uh, my first purchase, I got filled. It was at many different prices. So mm. people say, oh, what did you buy Bitcoin at? You hear people say like, oh, this price or that price. But I always say, you know, it was a range between $77 and $103 because I got filled in so many different increments. It was so, so weird. Yeah, because back then there wouldn't have been much liquidity, right? 
there wasn't much at all, especially on a new exchange that nobody ever really heard of. Yeah, I'm not sure when they had started, but when I heard of it, they couldn't have been around very long. And then um, right around, I think it was 2012, when you said the accident, I was in a car accident. Previous to that, I was a musician and I had a, had a CD out called Notice Me. It was actually in some stores in Baltimore, Maryland, and it's on iTunes now and things like that. But it really didn't sell that many copies in a short period of time, like over like a period of literally 11 years. It sold over 10,000 10, copies, but that was over 11 years. So that's not really good. Like you just say I sold 10,000 copies. It was in like a couple of months. That's pretty good for you know a small independent guy. But over that many years, it's not really that good, quite honestly. But it's on iTunes now and Spotify and some things like that. But since the accident, I really haven't been able to play music. So I, I kind of stopped doing that. But luckily... You know, because I was so cheap my whole life saving and investing, I was able to have enough money to lay around and, and support myself, obviously, and things like even during that time, I bought I bought a brand new house. So kind of fu- kind of funny that, that you could do something like that. So, you know, I was spent a lot of time laying around and thinking and I actually lost weight down to 106 pounds, which wow. isn't good, obviously. And I went to the Mayo Clinic for about 30 days and, um, you know, paid for that out of my pocket. But the insurance company, my health insurance paid a lot of it, but I still had to pay. I think it was around 25K or something like that. During that time, was, I, was, I was trying to recover, getting my weight back. You know, I had heard of the Ethereum crowd sale. I think it was in 2014. But I didn't participate in that because I couldn't figure it out. You know, all this stuff with the browsers and all that. So this is complicated. I said, geez. I said, either this is a scam or I'm just too stupid to figure it out. <laughs> so, then, so then eventually, Ethereum did get on cracking. And you did need Ethereum to participate in a couple of ICOs, which they called crowd sales at the time. And even then, when I first tried to do it, I messed up and lost coins. I got, did it wrong. Or, or maybe it's just a lot of people did it wrong. And I couldn't figure it out. But I was able to participate in a few. And if you had a Mew wallet, you also got some airdrops, too, with stuff. I, they, I don't even think they called it airdrops then. Just these tokens showed up in your wallet. <laughs> Closer to the beginning of 2017, I believe it was in January, that when Coinbase Ethereum got on there, it was around 9 bucks. So yeah. I put like 10 k in there just for the heck of it. And I said, let's see what happens. Kind of treat it like you know a venture investment. And I had started to get into startups, too, right around December of 2016. I had previously made an angel investment, but I didn't really know what I was doing. I just threw money in something. But um, right around, I think it was December of 2016, I made an investment in Voodoo Manufacturing, which ended up going to YC. And from there, I just started investing in a lot of startups. And I was participating in crowd sales because I thought it was a cool technology that one day one of these might take off. And it was like, you know, really kind of like a niche thing where the people were developers and they were kind of really geeky, but they were really into it. And then around March of 2017, it just really took off. And they mm-hmm. called it ICO. And I said, oh, my God, this sounds like IPO. And then the, the prices just went, went crazy, but they weren't really that liquid for almost for a year. So that's kind of my experience getting into crypto and my array into that. So it was kind of the right place at the right time and a lot of luck involved. A lot yeah, of luck. well, I'd rather have luck than anything else on my side, yeah. to be honest with you, man. <laughs> Everything else you can learn. But look, I mean, what would you, you've, you've invested in a lot of um, crypto companies, startups and whatnot uh, as an angel investor, call it, like, call it what you will. You, you've been in the industry, you've been doing it for a number of years. From your point of view, what have you learned over this period that you've been an angel investor about what makes, like what, what shows promise of a good investment from that very early seed sort of stage? Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do in the very early stage is betting on the founders because they have to be relentless. They have to be resourceful because you have to adapt to circumstances sometimes. And also, you have to know that they're not going to quit. So it has to be somebody that's really, really determined. I mean, I had invested in a company called Shearshare, and um, they're minorities, African-American couple, actually husband and wife. And they're like really, really determined. I mean, they didn't even have a 
technical background. So that's kind of against them. But, you know, when I talked to them, I was like, these guys, they're, they're nuts. They're going to make it happen no matter what. And their moat is, is that the guy is a professional barber that was a celebrity in that field. He's actually got a PhD in being a barber. I'm not sure what the technical term is for that. There's not many of them in the whole world. Wow. And he's like, in his field, he's like renowned. So I said, wow. So when they get people to go on their app and he goes around these barber schools, because what they do and these um, barber salons, the um, stylist. A lot of them are independent contractors and chairs need to be filled. And then if you own a salon, you have empty space so you can rent it out to, to these people. And, um, you know, when they go hear him talk, he's got instant credibility mm. because people will be like, oh, anyone can copy that. But that's not true, because if you or I could make the app. But if we call the, these shops or these stylists, they hang up the phone. Who are these? Because we don't, we don't come with the credibility. We, 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 right, right. We don't have any credibility. We don't know the lingo. And, and, you know, he's got a reputation. He even wrote a book and he's. He's got like famous clients he's had for 20 years. Wow. I mean, it's incredible. You see, some things in some businesses, like a lot of people doing a lot, making a lot of money and doing very, very well and creating things in areas you just don't even know, you don't even think about, right? Like the light board right in front of me, somebody is selling the lights within those boards and making millions of dollars. It, it, it's absolutely crazy. So, so having a passion, having a drive, not giving up and having an edge, I suppose, that, that, that gets the product in, the, in front of the faces of the right people. It, that, that's sort of what I gathered from what you just said there based on your barbershop example, yeah? Correct. Yeah. Okay. And look, what are the, what's changed when it comes to, I mean, look in that space, right? So if I'm going into an angel, if I'm going to invest in a company and a startup, just a typical startup, like an app or a website, or, you know, I know that apps and websites are probably the better ones to look at it from a business point of view for scalability, but I mean, it could even be just, you know, somebody wants to be a developer and they've got a great idea. So, okay, I've got the money. You don't, let's do it. Let's, 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 let's do a joint venture, right? When we look at technology like blockchain and coming into crypto, now you watch the crowdsourcing and then the ICOs, you watch that evolve. You, you saw it come to, come to play and you participated in the early stage, middle stage, all the way through. Now, what changed and, you know, I mean, what I've seen, what I've personally seen, I've, I've only been here since middle of 2017. I've been trading for 13 years, but I started trading this crypto market. I'm not a tech expert. I'm a trader. Uh, back then because I had the tools that I could actually trade and, and do what I needed to do. What I saw in the ICO space was that basically any kid who made a website and wrote a pretty poor-looking white paper could go and raise $10 million, uh, right place, right time. It was like a school project where you got paid for it, right? Um, but now it's, it's changed significantly. Projects are still raising, but they're good teams, they're good business plans, and they're really much more structured. Back in those very early days, what have you seen be the biggest shift from back then to where we are now when it comes to raising within this, uh, this ICO world? Right. I think you hit it on the nose that, you know, at one point in time, like near the end of 2017 for like the last three months, if you had a white paper and a dream, there was, they called it FOMO and people were just willing to fund it, the crowd, because I think there was a big pent up demand to fund innovation and ideas. And because of the accredited investor rule in the United States, the average guy couldn't participate in startups. So I think he saw this his way of being able to participate. Unfortunately, a lot of those things, people didn't even have a product. And even if it wasn't a scam and they weren't trying to scam you, they were grossly incompetent. They have no yeah. way they could build these things. <laughs> and some of these things, even by really talented people, cannot be built with today's technology yet. Yeah. So they raised hundreds of millions of dollars and we still haven't seen our tokens. And some of the people gave the money back because I guess they decided they couldn't build it. The SEC pressured them. Or, or things of that nature. But now people that have real products like Spiking, I'm an investor advisor in Spiking, they raised $32 million in the last couple of months of last year. And then this year in a private sale, Doc.com, which has Decoin, the life chain, 
they've raised $49 million in a private sale that only accredited investors down in the event at Mar-a-Lago they participated in and ended up raising a lot of money. So yeah, if you're a real team with a real vision and a real already have a product, a working mm-hmm. product, you can raise money. And what's so the, it just so kind of depends. What, 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 sorry, what, what's the... When you said they raised forty nine million this year. This project that you're talking about um, is that more or less exclusively in the U.S. with accredited investors? Um, the doc dot com one is with Decoin, yes. Okay, so how does this work? So when we're talking about a coin, we want to have uh, community distribution. Okay, so otherwise you know you could just go down a VC path, get the money from four different VCs, all wanted, and, and away we go. But part of the the ecosystem and, and to make things work within this space is the liquidity right and having people that are using it trading a community um all that sort of stuff so how does it work if they've got mostly accredited investors is it a very small pool of accredited investors or is there literally tens of thousands of them that all had had their chunk well in the case of doc.com it's only a handful of investors right so how's it going to work well the plan is is to have an initial exchange offering where the um, tokens go on an exchange but, but the real value to me is the utility because in, within the app, it's going to unlock medical data and things of that nature. Ah, so but that it's, brings but, us it's, into, but it's going to be randomized, right? Okay, go. So that, that, that brings, me, bring, brings us into the next topic, really, that I wanted to cover. Is, you know, we've sort of covered the fact that a lot of projects that came out, especially back end of last year, early last year, they raised uh, and they've not done a great deal. Um, we look at uh, NEM as another example. You know, at one point number four in coin market cap, seventeen billion. I guess valuation, if you want to call it that, um, certainly market cap of seventeen billion, and now they're putting their hand out. They need some more money. That's just you know, you talked about the word you used was grossly incompetent. I would suggest <laughs> that that is also another word that I would throw at NEM uh, and the the people that were in control there. I mean, the fact that they didn't have a CT, oh, sorry, CFO that could see what they had to do, um, it, it it just sort of beggars belief. And now they're where they are for a reason. Now. You talked about having uh, projects having products that are able to go out there and raise right now. With the tokenization of a lot going on right now, the, obviously the STOs are probably the next frontier. Um, security tokens that are governed by securities law, it brings credibility, it brings respect. I can see that market really going very, very well. Right now, of course, there's not a great deal of liquidity in those pools. Uh, so therefore, it is a, it is a, you know, there's, a, there's a bridge to gap. Uh, or a gap to bridge, I should say. So what sort of things at the moment are, are you really interested in as far as, you know, use case? How can we help people? How can the rubber hit the road? Where's your focus at the moment as far as tokenizing goes? Right. So with STOs, like I'm in disagreement with most of the experts. I think that um, like publicly traded stocks eventually going to be tokenized and make the settling instantaneous instead of the T plus three and things like that. But as far as startups tokenizing the raise and things like that, I think people will attempt it. And there may be one or two successful ones, mm. but there's not a real liquid market. So it's almost like an OTC type thing yeah. or the reggae plus where it's on the secondary market and you do zero trading or not much. But what I'm more interested in, I'm working with this company called Brightcoin.us is um, tokenizing things that bring value to the world. So basically blockchain being used to solve a problem and not being used in search of a problem. So what they're going to do is um, say, if you have a restaurant and you have one restaurant and it's profitable and it has money, but you want to have another restaurant, you can tokenize your revenue share. Or if you chose to equity and then taking the money to build the next one. And you could basically keep on doing that. So what you're doing is you're helping the average American or average citizen scale. who's a small business to scale. So that's solving a real problem and everyone can benefit. 
And if you do it under Regulation CF in the United States, you can do it to people who aren't accredited. There's filings, Form C with the SEC. There's financials. And then the average guy can get a piece of that. So the nice thing about that is if you love that restaurant, you can actually own some participation, either ownership via equity if they choose to do it that way, or you can get a piece of the revenue share. That's so unreal. It, kind of builds, it builds community too. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause uh, you, you want to keep going back to it. You're a part of it. You're part of that family now. And the other thing I suppose on that is the companies that are going to create those platforms, so to speak. So, you know, how with the ICO one, you can go and plug in XYZ platform. They'll do your white paper, help you with this, blah, blah. And they'll basically take your idea and make it into a business that's and a tokenized economy. There'll be companies that come out there and do exactly what you're talking about now, which if if there's a facilitation for almost like a plug and play, um, then that can really, really take off. And that's a, yeah, that will help businesses that are sitting back right now because we're at the mercy of the banks. You know, if if we go, hey, look, I've got a great business. I need another $2 million because I want to do two more restaurants in these areas, which has the same demographic, the same footpath numbers, the same sort of thing. And our restaurant isn't there, but everything else is there. The bank can go, no. Oh, well, unless you're someone who can go out there and hustle and find the two million bucks and hopefully not give away too much equity so it's not worth your while, then you're stumped, you're stuck. And that is a really good use case. Exactly. And Brightcoin is a SaaS platform. So right now, some people are going to use it for their STO. But the goal is to actually incorporate small America and get them to do it because on that can scale really big too. When one guy does it, he tells his restaurant owner friend and the convenience store owner that he wants to do it. And my, my example always used to be the car dealership, but a lot of people didn't get that. And so I, I started using the restaurant because I think that that's something people can understand just the way you understand it so easily. Makes per- it's a great analogy. It's a great example. It makes perfect sense. Definitely. Another thing too is being from music is token. And I know some people have been working on this and there's been you know limited results, tokenizing revenue streams for royalties. But my idea, and I've actually been talking to the Brightcoin guys about this, is even people with movies. If you want to do a movie, tokenize the future revenue because a lot of people do these things called shorts and um you know they're only twenty or thirty thousand dollars to do or fifty thousand dollars well you could tokenize that and tokenize the future revenues even if not for the short because they don't really make money in the movie business i actually invested in the movie so i've learned the hard way about this (laughs) even though we just got distribution so hopefully i get my money back at least (laughs) good luck good luck it, it can be a fickle business that one there's no doubt about that Right, but just tokenizing that, and even people like athletes possibly tokenize certain revenue streams because most athletes' only careers only last about four years. Most of them, most people aren't as lucky as the big stars that last 10 years. I think there's a lot of luck in that. In the first place, you know what I mean? And and the last thing to touch on is, um, I mean, I I cover this quite a bit is that you know, the community in the blockchain and crypto space, as much as it is developing, what I have noted, and I'm sure anyone who's listening and watching, male or female. Um, we'll, we'll sort of understand that there's been, I guess, a, a limited representation of everybody. Uh, I, I don't feel that the whole idea of, of, of this space is to allow people access to things that we might not have had to take control back, to be inclusive. The environment's changed. It's become very negative uh, in a lot of places since the bear market's come in. But I'm seeing a real lack of uh, representation from women. It, it is starting to pick up. There's no doubt about it. But I mean, Minority-wise, we don't seem to see as many people involved within the space. Well, what are your thoughts on that? Do you have any, any passion around that? Any thoughts on that same subject? Yeah, yeah, a lot of my angel investing is actually um, a good majority of it's in female founders and underrepresented minorities. Because it goes back to what we talked about looking at founders. I think a lot of minorities especially have kind of like a chip on their shoulder. So they have something to prove. So they're going to work 10 times as hard. Yep. They're going to do the work and they're, they're going to outwork you. So eventually they're going to get the breaks because a lot of luck is involved too. 
But if you keep working hard enough, you can get the breaks. And I think that a lot of the female founders are smarter than men because we have egos and we take bigger risk. So yeah. they, they've thought it out more. You know, they don't take like bet the company risk. And I think yeah. a lot of men sometimes do that and get wrapped up in the ego. And we get see the same in trading, man. Women, women uh, accept their losses faster. They'll admit to their losses. They'll put their hand up, ask for help. They're not as, they're not as emotional as men uh, because they, they, they don't get upset if, they, if they're wrong, whereas men don't like to be wrong, sweep their losses under the rug. So like, get your big time on that front. Yeah, I have a feeling too that, um, that it's kind of like women have a more protective instinct than we have. So like when you invest in, invest in female founders, they're like protecting everyone's capital and making sure every decision is wise. And you know, when you invest in men, they like to take risks because they want to be the next unicorn really quick. Now, yeah. don't get me wrong. I'm trying to invest in companies that are going to be you know, worth anywhere between 100 to 100, you know, $100 billion, you know, billion dollars, $10 billion. That's the goal because it pays for all the losses. <laughs> but I think sometimes the men try to get there too, too quick. Quickly. But if you take a shortcut and you're too short-term thinking, that that can cause problems. And it even calls you to bust the company, go to zero. It happens. Ego does get in the way. And look, it's, I mean, it's really great talking to someone like you. you you've been there in, not just in crypto, but you've been through the whole crypto boom. The first, second, third, fourth, uh, I think we're fifth and maybe the sixth is on, hopefully on its <laughs> way. We, we, we've got a lot of development to do, a lot going on in the space. Great to hear your thoughts and what you've learned throughout that period of time. Finally, James, where can the uh, viewers and listeners find out more about you? Oh, well, they can follow me on Twitter at, at PrimalKey. And um, they can connect with me on LinkedIn and um, they can follow me on Instagram. It's under JJ Sowers on Instagram. And I started writing on Medium too. Cool. But if, you Google J- if you Google James Sowers, a lot of crap comes up. <laughs> a lot of James yeah. Sour stuff. No worries. Well, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for your wonderful insights. I wish you all the best going forward and uh, let's keep in touch. Great, man. Thanks. Appreciate you having me on the show. No worries. Thanks, everybody. Have a good day. Bye for now. (laughs) The Trader Cobb Crypto Podcast is hosted by Craig Cobb. All Trader Cobb courses, products, and tools can be found at tradercobb.com because experience matters. This show is proudly sponsored by TraderCobb.com. Visit TraderCobb.com forward slash free tools for your free education content. Now on this section of the website, you will receive access to view a bit about the three trading strategies that I use daily. And if you're sick and tired of your family and friends wanting to know about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, well, there's a free course in there for them as well, titled Beginner's Course to Cryptocurrency. It's absolutely free, so tell your friends and family and visit TraderCobb.com now.